Happy Sabbath. <clears throat> I just wanted to mention here, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Surrey did mention it, but uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock we're going to have a study and uh, um, on the marriage in the most holy place. Uh, we, a lot of us, um, if you don't have a book, we'll we'd be glad to try to help you get one. This is a tremendous compilation on last day events. Uh, Second Coming of Christ, Close of Probation, many other subjects like that. And we will be looking, I believe it's chapter 10 on the marriage in the most holy place this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Um, David made a note that he brought some grab food, bananas, right? Granola bars for anybody that, uh, and some bottled water. So you can survive well on bananas. Yeah. <clears throat> I, re- I saw a lady give a testimony. She lived on him for 12 days. It did her a lot of good. <laughs> so you can do it for one meal, right? He's brought some granola bars and, uh, also. But brothers and sisters, if there ever was a time when we need to get together and fellowship, it's now. And study and think and pray and be encouraged. You know, uh, last night, uh, David uh, uh, presented on the Great Controversy Book Club. I'd invite you to join that uh, if you'd like, once a week we study the book Great Controversy by phone. It's quite convenient. And I must confess, I didn't get the first half. I listened to the program again on my way up here to church uh, this morning. Uh, but we read the Great Controversy, we discuss what's in it, and that book is especially dedicated to those who live at the end of time. So, uh, uh, But we'd really like to invite you to come and spend Sabbath with us, or, or rather uh, study with us this afternoon at, at 2 o'clock. Um, I want to just bow myself and have a prayer here, and then we will um, begin our study uh, from the Bible. Father, we are very thankful that we can come here to your word, to thy house, with thy people, on thy holy day. We are thankful. Lord, we are all in debt. We are in debt to thee because of the payment that was made for our sins upon Calvary's cross. We thank you that Christ paid the penalty of our guilt, that we might have everlasting life and not everlasting death and condemnation. And I pray that you'll help us to sense this debt today that we have to thee, that we will no more live unto ourselves but unto him who died for us and rose again. Father, please guide my mind Thou dost know the many weaknesses that I have and defects. I'm praying that thou will help me to share meat and due season with thy people today. And that the name of Christ will be magnified, that his word will be exalted. That we will look to him and him alone. So guide us now as we ponder the path of our feet. Please give us the leading and the direction that we so much need. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles uh, back to the passage that was read by Patience um, from Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and we will look there at... um, Again, what the passage had to say. 
Let's start with verse uh, 33. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Of course, the reference is the previous descriptions and signs of Christ's eminent coming. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, Jesus says that up until the time that he comes, people will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Um, Is it a sin to eat and drink? That depends on how you do it, right? Yeah. So it may or may not be, but obviously the intent of the Holy Spirit and the words of Christ here is that people will be preoccupied with what's fun and with what's enjoyable and they will be, as Paul said in Second Timothy chapter 3, they will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So what it is, what Christ is describing here is an idolatry of the blessings that God has given the human race. And many people, brothers and sisters, are going to lose their way to eternity because they are preoccupied with what pleases them over with what pleases God, and they will be lost. Very sad. Now, the, the uh, Lord is speaking here that the day, his day will come like a thief. And I would like to read a reference here. It's from the End Time Compilation, page 223. And it's a, a um, statement from Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 336. It says this. Great pains should be taken to keep this subject before the people. The solemn fact is to be kept not only before the people of the world, but before our own churches also, that the day of the Lord will come suddenly, unexpectedly. The fearful warning of the prophecy is addressed to every soul. Let no one feel that he is secure from the danger of being surprised. Let no one's interpretation of the prophecy rob you of the conviction of the knowledge of events which show this great event is near at hand. Um, Dave sent me a video on my phone. I watched just a little bit of it coming up here uh, with some clips from... Uh, people in southern states who are discussing the need for Sunday keeping. This is uh, need is being discussed in legislative halls now currently in America, brothers and sisters, that Sunday needs to be kept holy. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists should have their ears perked because the Sunday law is making its way and now is our time to uh, act as we should. Now, 
Christ compares the end of time to the days of Noah. We just read it. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall be so also shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So history repeats itself by studying history. We can have a, a clear understanding of end time events. Okay? Now I want you to just think here a little bit about Noah. Noah was a man who was called of God. He was a man who was giving a unique message. He was not of the majority, he was of the minority. Okay? The Bible also characterizes those who give the message at the end of time as being Elijah. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Both um, Elijah and Noah were in the minority. Chalk it off. Brothers and sisters, we must have moral backbone in these last days and an independence in Christ that will not allow us to be uh, manipulated by the sinful influences that are going on in our world. We must be willing to stand up for Christ, to be opposed, to be persecuted, to be criticized, scorned, whatever else may come. Okay? Just chalk it off. Right? But it'll be worth it. By the way, Noah was, was called a fanatic by the people who um, were in his day. They thought this guy is pretty uh, crazy. I would like to... Um, just take make an observation here of a few statements that are made in the book Patriarchs and Prophets. <clears throat> Many at first appeared to receive the warning, yet they did not turn to God with true repentance. They were unwilling to renounce their sins. During the time that, that elapsed before the coming of the flood, their faith was tested, and they failed to endure the trial. Overcoming by the prevail, overcome by the prevailing unbelief, they finally joined their former associates in rejecting the solemn message. Some were deeply convicted and would have heeded the words of, the, of warning, yet there were so, so many to jest and ridicule that they partook of the same spirit and resisted the invitations of mercy and were soon among the boldest and most defiant scoffers. For none are so reckless and go to such lengths in sin as those to, who have once had light but have resisted the convicting spirit of God. So we're facing um, something very similar here. Now, I just want to read just a little bit more here and then <clears throat> bring out some observation. It's talking about what was going on then. Page 96, it says this. But Noah stood like a rock amid the tempest. You know, I, I, like, I like what the book Desire of Ages says about John the Baptist, and it's good just to think about it again. And this is a very good thought. It says this of John the Baptist. It says, John the Baptist could stand erect and fearless in the presence of earthly monarchs. Do you know why? You know what it says after that? John the Baptist, it says, could stand erect in the, and fearless in the presence of earthly monarchs because he had bowed low before the king of kings. Isn't that beautiful? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Okay? 
It says, Noah stood like a rock amid the tempest, surrounded by popular contempt and ridicule. He distinguished himself by his holy integrity and unwavering faithfulness. A power attended his words, for it was the voice of God speaking to man through his servant. Connection with God made him strong in the strength of the infinite one. For 120 years, his solemn voice fell upon the ears of that generation. So here's Noah. He's being faithful to God. <clears throat> a couple of days ago, I was at a gas station. Of course, I'm getting out books, Lord willing, as I'm going door to door, but I like to do it at gas stations too. And a couple of days ago, I was at a gas station, and I didn't need much gas. I gave the... I, I, Went in and paid for my gas and came out and I had paid for $16 gas. I, my tank was already over half full. So I started pumping the gas. And while I was pumping the gas, there was a man on the other side of the pump pumping gas. And I took my book around and I said, sir, I've got a gift for you here. And uh, this book will show you what's happening to freedoms in America, how the Bible's absolutely true, and how Jesus wants you in heaven. And uh, he, he accepted the book and he said, he kind of bristled just a little bit, and he said, do you think I need that? I said, well, I said, I think I need that. And I said, you do too. So he took the book and looked it over. And then the pump clicked off, and I still had $2.40 left. I said, I said, here, you want some free gas? So he took the hose around his side and used it too, and then that softened him up a little bit. But, um, <clears throat> you know, we need to... We need to uh, do all we can to get this message out. And uh, anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on stories, but I want to tell you a couple more. So a day or two before that, it was maybe about 9 o'clock at night, I was coming home from work, or not home, but where I was going to stay for the night. And my, my gas tank was three-quarters full. I didn't really need any gas. And I thought, well, I need to stop and get some gas, and I thought, no, and then I felt impressed, I just need to go in here and get some gas, so I drove in, got some gas, and uh, I went in and paid for it, and when I walked in, I took a great controversy with me, and the lady took the book, and she became very excited, I told her, I said, ma'am, this is a book will show you what's happening to freedoms in America, how history repeats the, itself, how the Bible's absolutely true, and how Jesus wants you in heaven, she just got real excited, she said, oh, she said, I'm so glad to get this book. She said, I have a couple of friends that would love. She said, I'm going to share this book with a couple of my friends, too. I said, well, would you like a couple more? So I went back out, and I got her a couple more books. She said, you're an angel. I said, no, I'm not an angel. I said, but I have an angel that goes with me. She gave me thumbs up. Now, brothers and sisters, why would someone be so happy to get a book on a moment from a stranger? Isn't that the power of God? That's not my power, you know. So I was working in a community uh, this week, and I came to a door, oh, I don't know, it was maybe around dark, and I told the man what I was selling. He said, well, he said, I'm not so interested in what you're selling, but he said, how about that book you have? Well, he had talked to someone else earlier in the day who had gotten the book from me. We ended up having a pretty nice visit. He asked me what religion I was. He asked me what the mark of the beast was, and I told him. He didn't seem to bat an eye. So, you know, God is opening up people's minds. Now is the time to share, share, share in any way that we can to get this message out. Now, when Noah was building an ark, he was also preaching, right? So Noah was doing practical work, and he was also doing spiritual work. 
Brothers and sisters, I just want to share something with you. I think you're aware of this, but you know what? We do not have one minute to waste. We do not have one hour to waste. And we do not have any time to waste on mere pleasure and mere entertainment. I'm not saying you shouldn't be eaten. No, I'm not speaking in the extreme. But I'm saying, by the grace of God, we don't have any time to waste. We got a lot to do. Okay? Um... I don't know how many of you are planning on planting a garden this spring. But I'm going to encourage you, even if you only have a three-by-three spot, plant something, grow some food. Okay? Grow some food. By the way, you know what I would really like to do? I mean, if you all want to talk about it, you know, I think it would be really nice if we get together a conference call in a Sunday or so. And spend an hour or so, or 30 minutes, or 20 minutes on a conference call. Anybody wants to join in, I'd be glad to talk to you about growing fruit trees, doing gardening, and things like that. If anybody's interested in that kind of stuff, I think this is the kind of thing that we need to be giving attention to. Do you realize that we have been told in the spirit of prophecy that we need to get out of the cities, okay, into the country? I, if I, you know, I just think that based on what we've been told prophetically, we need to be getting out in rural areas or in the country where we can be away from the city, away from more populations. Some of you may be in more difficult situations. And I'll just give you my suggestion. I really think, this is my opinion, I am preaching my opinion. I know it's the pulpit, but I'm preaching my opinion. I really think small groups of us should band together and maybe locate a piece of land out in the country where when time of necessity comes, at least it's a place we can go to that we're somewhat prepared for what's coming. Because some of these cities are going to lock down, brothers and sisters. There's going to be trouble. And we are told there's a whole little book called uh, Country Living by Ellen G. White, where she encourages us to get out of the city and into the countries. So um, we, by the grace of God, need to be very practically thinking on these things. Some of you may be living in apartments. Maybe you're in a hard situation. But you know what? God can help us in one way or another. I've got a friend uh, near the Virginia border who's got some uh, some of this, and uh, he's got some making some provisions for people who need a place to live when they have to flee. In fact, he said there's a property down the road about a half a mile. It's got a house on it. He said with four bathrooms and room, and he said I'm. Think about buying that for extra. So anyway, one way or another, God's going to open up the way, but we need to have our minds tuned into this kind of thing because the Lord has given us a work to do. Okay? Um, anyway, I would be happy to spend some time. If you all want to on a Sunday sometime, we can talk about some of these things. And it is uh, somewhat time-sensitive, so we should not uh, be delaying. Um We have a lot of things that take, not only take our attention, but demand our attention in these last days. We've got everyday life we've got to deal with. Okay, We've got our health we've got to deal with. By the way, brothers and sisters, we have been in a, a um, what they've called a pandemic for over a year. Um, I will just tell you this. I'm not going to elaborate on it here in the pulpit, but I will just tell you this. I personally am not going to take a vaccine for the, you know, may God bless you if you 
have, but I personally am not. Um, and I could, maybe if you want to talk about it in the afternoon meeting, we can some more. But I want to refer you to several statements in the book Great Controversy. I didn't happen to bring the book with me today, but if you will look at page 589 and 590, it says in there that it, it describes a variety of things that Satan is doing at the end of time, and it says in there that Satan will pour out a deadly taint into the air, and it says thousands will die of the pestilence. Okay? So there you see, I think there's four times in the Book of Controversy where the word pestilence is used, and pestilence means a disease. So she says, in the last days, Satan is going to pour out a deadly pestilence into the air, and thousands will die of the disease. And she talks about this and various things that are going to happen. And she says, these disasters have become more frequent and more disastrous until populous cities are reduced to ruin. Very sobering. We, by the grace of God, need to be calling people to Christ and to repentance as rapidly as possible. Because, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what happens to us physically in this life. What matters is if we have repented of our sins, we're right with God. You know, I was going door to door on a Sabbath afternoon recently with some friends of mine, and we came across a man who had a, uh, well, he was dying. He had a tumor on his back by his spine protruding out of his back about the size of a large grapefruit. His sister was there taking care of him. We prayed with him. We talked to him. And I saw a pack of cigarettes on the windowsill. I said, are you using tobacco? He said, yes, I am. I said, you have got to put that away. You have got to be right with God. I mean, it's one thing to die of a disease, brothers and sisters, but if you die and you're not right with God, you've lost everything. So we need to be calling uh, people to repentance. But anyway, back to what the book Great Controversy says about pestilence. She says thousands will die of the pestilence. How many of you are somewhat familiar with Psalms 91? Right? A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, yet it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. That psalm is worth, uh, I haven't memorized it quite yet, but that, that was that's a tremendous chapter. But anyway, back to Great Controversy. There's two other statements Past 589, where the word pestilence is used. If you go to page 629, the book Great Controversy, it says specifically that the angels of God will will protect his people from pestilence in the time of trouble. Okay? That's page 629, and then over on page 654, she says, again, near this, the end, she says, God's people have passed unharmed through pestilence. You see, God's going to have a people in these last days that are going to pass. Well, they're not that they're not going to suffer, but essentially they're going to pass unharmed through persecution, through the final outpouring of the wrath of God, through pestilence and so forth. We must have faith in the Almighty God. He is our protection. Amen. Yeah, He is definitely our protection. Amen. So, but we have uh, um, a lot of preparation to make, and one of those things is. Definitely um, taking care of our health. There is a statement here that I want to share with you. Um, Out of the cities, I'm reading now from 
country living. Out of the cities, out of the cities, this is the message the Lord has been giving me. The earthquakes will come, the floods will come, and we are not to establish ourselves in the wicked cities. Okay. Here's another thing I just want to visit here for the few minutes I have in the pulpit. I, 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 must, I, I must say I feel very challenged in speaking to a group once in a while in 30 minutes. But I'm just going to bring out a few thoughts to you. Hopefully you will be, because there's so much really that we need to give attention to. But l- let me just bring your minds back to this one again. Okay? God is and will have a people in these last days that walk with him like Enoch walked with him. Do you know there's a statement in the spirit of prophecy that says, listen to this, she says we can have what Enoch had. Do you realize God is no respecter of persons? But you know what he is a respecter of? A hungry heart. And he will go to that person. Yeah. She says we can have what Enoch had. All right. And Enoch walked with God. He communed with God. Now, you well know that, in, uh, or may well know that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that by beholding, we are changed. Are you familiar with that text? Yeah. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? I want to read you a statement here from three selected messages. Page 183. I address the ministers, lead the people along step by step, dwelling upon Christ's efficiency, until by a living faith they see Jesus as he is, see him in his fullness, a sin-pardoning Savior, one who can pardon all our transgressions. I've got a question for you. Have you allowed Jesus to pardon you all your transgressions? Have you? I can't answer that. But I'm asking you the question. Have you gone to Jesus and asked him to cleanse you and pardon you from all your transgressions? Or are you still carrying around the burden of guilt? Okay. Listen, it says, a sin-pardoning Savior who can pardon all our transgressions. Now listen to this next short uh, two sentences. It is by beholding that we become changed into his likeness. It is by beholding that we become changed into his likeness. And then it says, this is present truth. Brothers and sisters, the greatest acquisition, the greatest thing we can seek for as human beings is to be transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of Christ and to become like Christ. That should be our greatest thing, to be like Christ, to be with Christ, and to be with those who love Christ, right? But to become like Christ, to be transformed into his image. And it says here in 3SM 183, it is by beholding that we become changed into his likeness. This is present truth. Now, when you behold something, you spend Time thinking about it. Right? Till you really get the grasp. You know, a Christian once said, it is not he who reads the most, 
But he who meditates the most that will make the choicest, wisest Christian. It is not he that reads the most, but he who meditates the most that will make the choicest, wisest Christian. Now, I must confess, I do pleasure reading in the Bible. I like to just read. But I also spend a portion of time meditating on the word with the point of meditating on it and memorizing it. J. A. Wiley, in his writing, says that Martin Luther would sometimes spend an entire day meditating on one verse of the Bible. There's a tremendous amount of light and knowledge even in one verse in the Bible, and we should be encouraged to meditate on. George Whitfield, that wonderful uh, contemporary uh, preacher of John Wesley, said that he would study the Bible on his knees, and he said, I would pray over, over every word and line. And he said, I, in other words, he was meditating on it. And he says, I got more from the word of God in one month than I'd ever gotten from all the writings of men in a lifetime. These men were into the word. Read it and reread it and reread it. Because through the word, we become partakers of the divine nature. I promise you, if you start spending time with the word, and by the way, brothers and sisters, uh, I don't know if I ever have a chance to preach on this here, but I'm convinced the very best English translation of the Bible is the King James Version, not the New King James Version. I could explain all that why and all that, but if you want linguistic superiority in the word of God, the old the original King James Version is, is it. In fact, it's recognized even by secular minds as being the greatest piece of literature in all languages, not only the English language, for its superiority and its excellence. And on top of that, it's crowned with the fact that it is the divine word of God. And Jesus says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we need to memorize the word, meditate upon the word. Memorize scripture, brothers and sisters, the time's going to come when we're going to be called before councils and courts of law to testify for our faith. And the more we know, the stronger our faith will be and the better we will be prepared for that. Okay. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about the subject of appetite. Okay. This is another one of those things that no one can decide for you or determine for you. But we are told that in the end of time, that Satan's temptation to indulge appetite will become more powerful and more difficult to overcome. It's okay to like to eat. It's okay to enjoy your food. God gave you a tongue and a tummy and pretty colored and nice tasting things to eat. He wants you to enjoy it. But what Satan is after is perverting appetite to the ruin of health. We are told that the highest attainment in the Christian life is the control of appetite. And without this victory, all hope of heaven is vain. We must control appetite. And when you gain the victory over appetite, you will gain the victory over everything else. It's very important. Um, Doing some fasting is very important, I believe. So I have a couple papers on fasting. If someone would like a couple papers on fasting, it gives the body a chance to do an internal cleanse. It shrinks the stomach. It does a reset on your system, and it better uh, makes your mind more receptive spiritually and all that, and it really does help in gaining victory over appetite. If you have a problem with appetite, and 
I don't know about you, but I do like to eat, even though for some reason for about 10 years my tongue doesn't taste very well anymore. I still love to eat. I can still taste some things. But I must admit, I almost constantly am battling with appetite. (laughs) It's just at least not in a perverted way, but it seems like it is. But one thing is for sure, we must not be eating in between meals. Here's the definition of eating in between meals. It's when you eat food and your stomach is not empty from the previous meal. We should not be eating in between meals, okay? We should, as far as possible, avoid staying or eating late at night before we go to bed. In fact, the last meal should be a lighter meal. Um, and I'm going to go contrary to popular opinion, but this is, again, now that I'm in the pulpit, I understand and I hold that sacredly, but I'm going to give you my opinion. Now, it's my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. But I do not agree with the, with the statement that says you need to eat breakfast like a king. I don't agree with that. In fact, I think you'll feel better the rest of the day if you'll eat less for breakfast. Just try it. That's just my opinion. Some people, I think, eat too much food for the day, and it loads them down. It takes away their energy. The body's digesting food when they could have had that energy for actually doing work. So anyway, experiment with appetite control. Experiment with some fasting. We've got to gain um, the victory over it. I would like to read a a couple statements here on um, health. This is a book, Maranatha, page 230. It says, the thoughts need purifying when, and then it says, what might not men and women have been had they realized that the treatment of the body has everything to do with the vigor and purity of mind and heart? Okay? So how we treat our bodies appetite control, all those kinds of things, has a tremendous effect upon our mental function, our physical function, and all that. As I have mentioned to people uh, various times in talking to them about health, I've mentioned to them, if you eat like a pig, you cannot work like a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there is a statement here in the book... Uh, um, Patriarchs and Prophets, that I would also like to read briefly. By the way, when you read Psalms 106, and it talks about the children of Israel lusting after uh, the wrong food in the wilderness, it says God gave them their request, remember? But it says, but he sent leanness, that is lack, into their soul. In other words, by the indulgence of selfish pleasure in eating they lost out tremendously in spiritual health and progress. Now, there's a statement here in uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 378. It says, God had brought the Israelites from Egypt that he might establish them in the land of Canaan, a pure, holy, and happy people. In the accomplishment of this object, he subjected them to a course of discipline, both for their own good and for the good of their posterity. So, discipline. Discipline. Listen. 
had they been willing to deny appetite in obedience to his wise restrictions, feebleness and disease would have been unknown among them. Did you know that if you will chew your food more thoroughly, you will actually get more nutrition out of it? And you will get more satisfaction out of it? And you can actually survive just fine on less? I, I read about a man and a son who were in a prison camp on a starvation diet. Many, many people around them died. The man and his son survived. You know what they did? They took the tiny bit of food that was given them and they chewed it so super thoroughly that they got all the good out of it and they survived just fine. If you're ever in a place where you don't have much food, put that thought in your memory. I can't say that I practice that kind of discipline at this moment, but I try and, you know. Anyway, that's worth something. But I'm re- I want to read on here this statement. It says, had they been willing to deny appetite and obedience to his wise restrictions, feebleness and disease would have been unknown among them. Their descendants would have possessed both physical and mental strength. They would have had clear perceptions of truth and duty, keen discrimination, and sound judgment. But their unwillingness to submit to the restrictions and requirements of God prevented them to a great extent from reaching the high standard which he had desired them to attain and from receiving the blessings blessings which he was ready to bestow upon them. So here we are, brothers and sisters. We're in the last days. God is calling for a people who will overcome in the power of Christ. Yeah. And one of the keys to overcoming is feeding on the word and depending on the word. Remember what Peter said, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. I'd like to encourage you to take a look at the book of Revelation more than just a a glance or a look at the book of Revelation. We are promised that, that when we study this book that there will be a revival among us that will not be stopped. There's all kinds of powerful truth in there. When you read the book of Revelation, you read first chapter, the description of the glorified Christ, and then the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. When you come down near the end or at the end of every message to the churches, it says, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Brothers and sisters, we need an experience with Christ so that when we do face death, we will not fear the first death. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. To him that overcometh will I give a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Yeah, uh, Thyatira, Christ said to... um, him that overcometh will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. 
As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, and I will give him the morning star. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Amazing promises. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven for my God, and I will give him my new name. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Christ has given us tremendous promises when we overcome, and he's also promised the power to overcome. You've got to realize, brothers and sisters, Jesus died for the weakest person. Jesus died for the most guilty, the most sinful. And if we will depend upon his word, he will give us power to overcome. Amen. So God bless you. God bless you. And let's give attention to those things that the Lord is calling us to do, to take care of our health, where we need to, to witness or to move out of the cities, grow our own food. There's a lot of things we need to give our attention and time to. Jesus is coming back, and I want to be ready. He says, behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And brothers and sisters, that text is getting closer to being fulfilled. All things, as we see prophetically, are happening around us. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. God bless you, and let's um, sing our closing song and have our closing prayer. Our closing hymn today is number 442, How Sweet Are the Tidings. If we could all stand.
Thank you very much. Before we pray, I just want to make an appeal. There may be someone in this worship hour today that you have not made your surrender to Christ or an entire surrender to him, or you know that you are doing something in your life that is wrong and sin. And I plead with you on this Sabbath day to give it all over to Christ. Make the decision. I will follow my God. If there's anybody here that needs to make that surrender or that decision for Christ today, please raise your hand. You don't have to be ashamed. We are all sinners. We have all done wrong. And we all are in need of repentance. But these occasions are times when we need to be making those decisions like that. Is there anyone here? I hope everyone's being honest with their hearts. God bless you, sister. God bless you. Be honest with your heart, brothers and sisters. Give the Holy Spirit the room to speak to you. I have a couple papers here on fasting. If anybody would like them, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that we have some moments of probation. Lord, we believe your word. We thank you for its promises. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for all that the angels are doing and Christ is doing for us in the most holy place. And I pray, dear Father, that you'll help us to embrace the three angels' message. Fear God and give glory to him. Babylon has fallen. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Help us to be like Noah, who stood like a rock in his time amidst the opposition. He would not flinch. And I pray that thou will give us divine power through thy divine word to overcome sin, to seek for purity of life, to live for you, and to proclaim thy truth in these last days. Father, bless my brothers and sisters in these last days. Bless the Brooklyn church, everyone who's in it. And I pray that this church will become a mighty light in Cleveland to reach precious souls who are dying outside of Christ. Lord, please help us to be awake to their need. Help us to look at reality and not to be deluded. Help us to live for you. We thank you for hearing our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen.